I grew up from, from a family where we had just enough. For me, it's always been work hard, keep working hard, keep working hard and keep working hard. Um, so, What's your opinion on TikTok? I wish I could say yes, but it's a no. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. I know my audience wants this. Let's go about and let's crush it. All right, guys, today's guest is a global speaker and is the founder of a multi six figure marketing company. One of the global leading educators when it comes to growing your business named by Instagram themselves as the Reels Pro. My friend, Miss Monique Fosella. That is the formula to creating reels regardless of what industry you're in. If you're a business owner right now and you're not crushing it with, with reels, then you're absolutely gonna be left behind. Welcome to the Dream Out Loud family where young entrepreneurs come to learn the tips, tricks and attitude of what it takes to live their dream life. I'm your host, Morgan T. Nelson, a former carpenter who created financial freedom by the age of 23 and have since spent my time traveling around the world living my dream life, inspiring, educating, and teaching other young people how they can do the same. Each and every week, I'll bring you the most epic guests who are going to share their stories, wisdom, tips, and tricks on how they've been able to create a life by design. Here at Dream Out Loud, we're committed to helping inspire and educate you to be able to execute your full potential. Alrighty guys, today's guest is a global speaker and is the founder of a multi six figure marketing company specializing in Instagram organic growth. Having lost all of her customers as soon as COVID hit and it being a blessing in disguise as it made her pivot her business strategy where she scaled the socialista and it absolutely took off. Quickly having to navigate business, self-doubt, and online haters, she managed to grow a thriving business in a short amount of time, generate speaking opportunities in other countries, and then turn into one of the global leading educators when it comes to growing your business with Instagram Reels. So please help me welcome the woman who went from working for $10 an hour at an Italian restaurant to now the founder of The Socialista, a top marketing agency helping business owners dominate online and to be named by Instagram themselves as The Reels Pro, my friend, Miss Monique Fosella. What an intro. <laughs> there we go. We got it done. So good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have a conversation with you and talk all things social media. We've actually had, I don't know if you know the Pink Sparrow social. Yes. Annika. Annika. Yeah. She's come on here as well. She's an absolute She's the boss. best. She's a boss of this stuff too. But, you know, this is such a, a hot conversation, everything reels, social media, marketing, because... You know, if you're a business owner right now and you're not on social media, for one, and you're not crushing it with with reels, then you're absolutely going to be left behind. Mm -hmm. But before we get into that, I want to also talk to you about, like, you're 27, you've grown a smashing business right now, you're crushing it. I want to ask you first, what's been the biggest launch you've ever had? The biggest launch I've ever had was in conjunction with someone else at the time, and we had a quarter of a million dollar launch. Dang. And that was in one week. In one week. In one week. How much prep went into this? Because it's so funny. Not too much. Not too much prep went into it. When, when we launch, it's very, it's very fun. It's very organic. It's very easy. I think what went into the launch is more so having a launch event. So a masterclass, a challenge, something that gets people a bit of a taste of what you've got. And then from there, you move into the launch. The, the, the hardest part of that was actually creating the actual course itself mm. and putting the pieces together. But the launch itself was quite easy. It was quite flowy. So that was, it was, it was awesome. Did you, did you have the course made before you launched? Nope. I love that. I never do, ever. My, my motto is ready, fire, aim. Mm. And I think so. Like what stops so many people, and like and I mentor a whole group of people now, and the one thing I always have to keep coming back to is like go and sell shit first and see if people even buy it. Right. Because you, you may waste so much time in creating content, creating a course and all this, to then put it out there and think your program is amazing and then no one freaking buys it. It's ridiculous. It's almost like there's a there's a, there's a term called MVP, minimum viable product. And people will go out and they'll spend all this time, all this money creating this course, this program, but not actually test it with the market first. Mm. So you're exactly right. You've wasted all this time, all this energy, and now it's put you back a million miles because no one wants what you've got to have or what yeah. you've got to offer. So what are some what are some good ways how what would you recommend for people to do? Like, obviously, like, you're crushing it, right? So if people are looking at this going, oh, my God, this woman's a beast, and they may even look like you could put one reel out and probably fill mm -hmm. an event, and it's probably a lot easier for you now. 
but what about in the beginning? What about for someone watching this and they're like, well, how do I actually test? How do I test the waters? How do I test my market to see if this idea I have is something that people would want to buy? How can they test it without wasting heap of money or too much energy and effort? It's funny because people look at my Instagram page and I've got 100,000 followers. When I really started this journey in terms of jumping on courses and programs, I had about 6,000 followers at the time and the process is the exact same and the output is the exact same, which is awesome. So what I would do when I'm first starting out with an idea is I would launch an MVP, a sort of mini version of what I'm going to create. So whether that be a masterclass, a free masterclass, I would actually do a paid masterclass, something that's low ticket, really easy, $49, $37 that you can do. It's one hour where you bring people in, you get their interest, you teach the heck out of it. Mm. And not only are you dominating your space in the sphere by showcasing that you are the expert in this area, but you're also getting people bought in to what you're teaching. So when you do go in a month's time to create this, you know, incredible course or program that you're, that you're launching, people are already bought into you. And so they're going to buy that course as well. And not only does that work for those people, but it gives you the confidence that I know what, what I'm talking about. I know my audience wants this and let's go about and let's crush it. It creates that incredible spirit because launching isn't just about having all the ducks in, the row, in a row. It's also about how you show up. Mm. And so when you have that positive sort of outlook from the get-go, you're going to have a better launch. I remember the first time I created a um, this podcast now for three and a half years, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I launched it, it went to like number six in Australia and we've, we've done really well with it. And a lot of people started asking me, how do you do a podcast? How do you do this? And all these sorts of things. And I started just telling people, a few of my close friends, do this, this, this. And then one of my friends said to me, he used my strategy, he went to number one in Australia. He goes, dude, why don't you make a course out of this? Mm. And I'm like, um, I'm busy, I don't want to. And then I was at somebody else's event one time and it was like a one week event. And I asked them actually, I said, I got an idea for you. Would you let me pitch from stage my podcast course that isn't made yet and we can split whatever I sell? And they're like, yep. So I had 10 minutes notice. I had no fucking course, right? And I get up on stage and I thought in my head, if I'm going to create a course, what is it gonna, what's going to be included in it? So as I'm talking in real time, I'm saying, here's what's going to be included in it. Here's what I'm going to give you. Here's what I'm going to give you. If you're in, this is how much it is. You can jump in today. And we closed about half the room. That's incredible. In, in 20 minutes, we did, I think it was like nearly fourteen or $15,000. Mm. First time I ever sold anything like to an audience or nothing like that before. And I was like, shit, not only do people need it, but I'm going to go create a fucking course now. <laughs> <laughs> so then I told everybody, I said, amazing, you know, sign up. You know, we're going to be rocking. We get started in a couple of weeks. And I gave them a deadline. I was like, we're going to start in two weeks. And in those two weeks, I started building the course. Yes. I just jumped in because I like if I could have done all this effort and then notice that no one actually wanted to buy it. Well, there's two great things that come out of what you just did. Number one, you had 10 minutes notice to actually put this together. It removes all analysis paralysis, all what if this isn't good enough or different, you know, elements of what do people need? Oh, this person does that instead. And all the thoughts you're just going in and saying, my client needs to achieve X goal. What steps am I going to do and put inside my course to get there? So that's brilliant, firstly. And secondly, you create a feedback loop when you create as you're teaching or you sell first and then you create, you're actually getting a live feedback loop from your customers and your clients that are telling you, oh, we need some more assistance in here or this didn't quite make sense or I'd love more on this or this is only just hitting the surface for me. Amazing. While you're creating it, you can beef up the course as you're going and make it even better, a better experience for your clients and your and your audience. And that's just a win-win for everyone. Mm. So you did a quarter million dollar launch. Yeah. How did you, what sort of impact did that have in your business and your life then? Like, what did you guys do with that? Did you go buy Gucci bags or did you reinvest <laughs> it? If so, like, how did you sort of use that to uh, propel forward? Yeah, okay. So what we did from there is we hired more help into the actual business. So we hired an OBM. We hired um, just people just to kind of come in and support the business and support the clients that are inside. I'm not very much of a materialistic person. Only yeah. only am I just starting to start buying nicer things for myself. But I grew up from, from a family where we had just enough. And I grew up from a single income family. It was myself, my brother, my mom. And she worked for everything that she had. And her work, her work ethic, she would be up until 3 a.m. in the morning and wake up at 7 a.m. for us to go to school and take us to school, take me to dancing. Uh, like This sort of work ethic was just so inspiring to me. We had what we needed. We didn't have anything extra. And so getting into that mentality of like, you know, work hard, play hard 
it's for me has always been work hard, keep working hard, keep working hard and keep working hard. <laughs> um, so now I have a really beautiful car that I love. I love driving it. Um, I've got one or two designer pieces, but that's about it. But everything that I have, I reinvest back into the business. There's only like slight, you know, bits and pieces that I bring back to me to celebrate, but everything else goes back into the business. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people, it's funny because before I came in today, I'm walking the streets here in Sydney and I went to go and get, I had to get a JB Hi-Fi. And, and I mean like all the luxury brands around me, it's Gucci, everything. And and I was thinking, they, there was a time in my life where I used to love all this stuff and like, um, I never waste a heap of money buying this shit, but I'd always just love being around all the luxury stuff. And now I'm at a point where I'm like, that's so dumb. I just mm. hate, I hate, like somebody came up to me at an event this week and he's like, what sort of watch you got? And I was showing my watch and he's like, got all the diamond stuff in it. He's like, why don't you get a Rolex? I said, why the fuck would I get why a Rolex? Why do I need a Rolex? <clears throat> right? And like, and I, and I get, I've got some friends. I've actually got a friend who's got over half a million dollars of watches. And the right ones are assets. Mm-hmm. But when growing a business, that's why I ask, because like if you had a great launch, there's some people who are immature with business who go, oh my God, I've got all this money from me now. And I love that you instantly say, well, we hired OBM, we hired more team. Because now what, I've, what I'm obsessed on is making money and then pouring straight back into the business, putting the marketing systems, team, so we can keep scaling. And that's been what's really helped me grow so far so quickly as well. Because like I just make money. I'm like, oh, I want my cash flow. I want passive income to pay for all my stupid shit in life. Correct. And I want to take the money I got now to put it into the business to make the business explode. So then we take the money from there eventually to put it into assets. Exactly. And I think that's a really great way to do it because it's no matter how old you are in your business, you know, you could be three years in business, five years in business, there's still there's still so much to be done. Yeah. There's still so many goals to achieve. So I think reinvesting that money back into the business is always a good idea. I was reading through some of your stuff when you got started. Mm-hmm. And am I right? by hearing that you started this whole business in your bedroom? I did, in the corner of my bedroom. The corner of your bedroom. So walk us through, what was what was the start of this? Like, Because I know you were working, you're, you had a corporate job, you're mm-hmm. doing this, then you're like, screw this, I'm out, and you start doing your own thing, then COVID hit. Walk us through yeah. those first early months of you going, I'm turning my passions and my creativity, my skill set into my own business. How did that come about? So I was working at a at a corporate sort of level and I hated where I worked. It was just high school and I just get me out of here. It was so crazy. And I decided there are so many people in my local area who need social media, who need to really utilize the power of this. And they're just not either. They're too busy. They don't know what it looks like yet. And this is going back in 2018. 2018, people were only really just starting to use social media for their business. It's not like how it was, how it is today. Mm. Um, so I I just started. I took a week off between my job and starting this. And I remember one day just saying, okay, I'm, I'm starting. That's it. I went to Canva. I made a little logo and I uploaded my very first post. And that was the day that I say the socialista started was the day that my first Instagram post went up. And I was working in the corner of my bedroom. At that time, I was I was living at home. So it was a lot easier for me. I grew up in a grew up in a very like wog household, very ethnic. Um, you know, my mum was working so so hard, but she's like, Monique, if you don't do it now, when are you going to do it? You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. You've got a roof over your head. You've got a bed to sleep in. You've got food on the table. What else do you need to just go out and start? So it's a little bit harder if you're going out on a limb and you've got you've got a mortgage, you've got X, Y, Z to pay for. But for me, I had very little expenses. So it was almost a no brainer to just start because you never know what's going to happen. So I started, but I had one foot in, one foot out. So I started doing the socialist. I had about two clients and I was charging peanuts, peanuts. I cannot believe how much I charged. And then I was working part-time at another place doing their social media. I was at this place, the part-time job for a year and a half, probably about a year longer than I should have. And then I finally quit. But then they ended up coming on board as one of my clients. So it was great. That's right. And that was, <laughs> I finally worked up the courage. I'm a very loyal person. I'm very, if I'm with you, I'm with you. We're, we're doing this ride together. So I'm very loyal, which is why it took me so long to quit this, this part-time job. December of 2019, I told my employers, okay, I'm quitting. As you knew from the start, I was always doing the socialist full-time and they were fine with it. Finally got out and then two months later, COVID hit and I lost every single client but one. But I wasn't scared. It wasn't It wasn't like, oh my gosh, scrambling, I need to find something, I need to find work. It was cool. This gives me space because I was, I was so busy. I was so busy. 
what do I want? What do I want? What do I want to do next? What's my next step? What are people wanting? What are people asking me for? And that's where I jumped into coaching because before that I was just doing social media management. And that's where I've jumped into now coaching and creating courses and it unlocked a whole new world for me. And you got a lot of hate in the beginning, didn't you? Mm-hmm. A lot of hate. Is this uh, from people you knew, people in your circle, or are these just strangers online? Strangers online. They come out, hey? My gosh, out of the woodworks. <clears throat> but they're good. Like I, I like getting haters because it shows me a couple of things. It shows me that what I'm doing, I'm actually standing for something. That's the first one. Because if everyone loves you, you're not, I don't think your message is strong enough. Mm. Um, if we look at the most polarizing people in the world, let's look at different ends of the spectrums, right? The most Google search person in the world last year was Andrew Tate. Mm-hmm. He's polarizing <sighs> as heck. As <laughs> fuck, right? But at the same time, with that, there's a huge amount of people that absolutely idolize him and love him. Then we can even look on a, a nicer spectrum. We look at Jay Shetty. Mm-hmm. Jay Shetty is one of the top influencers in the world right now. But look what he did. He came out in America where it's primarily Christian. Everyone's Christian, everyone's religious. And he's like, no, you can be a monk and you can meditate and you can be spiritual. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's that's still controversial to some degree. And there'd be some people who are very strong Christian who'd be like, disagree with it in a way. He's not coming out with like hating, but there definitely would have been some people when he first came on the street being like, Who's this guy? Like, you know, all these types of things. But look what he's what he's grown from it. So I love it because I, if I have people hating me, I'm like, that's amazing. I've 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 got something that these people don't ag- agree with, which means I've definitely got a group of people who do agree with me. Mm. But the other thing is it means that my content is actually going to a new audience as well. Yes. And a lot of people are scared to get hate. I bring it on. I need more. I need more. Because what happened in the beginning, like I had so many people hate and so th- heaps of shit. Um, and they either disappeared or they started to like my stuff now. So I do need more now. And so I, I look at it from that sort of perspective. I, I like it. But how did it sort of happen for you? And how did you navigate through that? Because I know in the early years, like I've gone through years of confidence. I just genuinely don't give a shit anymore. But I know that's the thing that stops a lot of people from actually put, wanting to put their face on social media of what, what are these strange people going to say to me? Yeah, I think it was in the early days, it was about a year into business. And by a year into business, it was still sort of my side hustle. It still wasn't actually Monique full-time in the socialista yet. So at that point, I was working with clients. I was booked out, but I didn't have a website. <laughs> and this one girl, I remember she was based in Melbourne and she, she would create posts about me. And screenshot how many followers I had and my follower count. So I knew it was me because it was the, the, the numbers were exact. Mm. And she said, like, don't trust people like this who don't even have a website. Don't do this. Don't do that. And I'm like, firstly, I am like half your age. What, what do you have against me? And it got to a point where at that stage, it was really, it really put me down. It was bullying. It was straight bullying. And it would happen weekly. And by the same person, by the same person, just bashing me, she'd find something else, bash me again. She'd find something else. She'd bash me again. And it wasn't to my inbox. She would never say anything to my face. It would all be her Instagram stories alluding to me or screenshots of my page with arrows about what you shouldn't, shouldn't trust. Or I'd post an Instagram um, story or a post about a certain topic and then she'd do a rebuttal which is fine. I'm so here for healthy competition. I'm so here for conversation back and forth, but not to the detriment of like killing someone's self-worth and confidence mm. and just calling them out for stupid shit. Like it, where are we right now? I can build my business on social media using just my DM saying, comment the word X and be booked out. I don't need a website. There are so many people that don't have websites that are crushing it. You don't need a website to have a successful business. And I proved that from the start. And I don't think she liked that. Yeah, it's it's a different era. Like oh, yeah. you're 27, you said she was double your age, right? And it's like one of the first things I'll, I'll, I'll muck around with people. When, I'm, when I do like business mentorship days, I ask everyone, what's the very first thing you need to do when you start a business? And usually like the last time I taught it this, I asked that question for 10 minutes. People are like, you need to have a website. You know, you need a logo. You know, you need this. You need this. And I'm just fucking laughing. Like the first thing you need to do in starting a business is you got to make money. That's it. You got to sell something. And because these are the things that can stop people, they can get into the paralysis of analysis. My website will be perfect. All this. We just started a website at the start of this year because um, my team were like, 
we should probably just create one because especially if we want to brand more as a speaker. So I'm like, sure. I still think it's a waste of money. Um, we use landing pages and Instagram. Yeah. That's my website. But it's also good to know because then a year and a half later, I made my own website. Yeah. It was crap. Like I cannot even believe <laughs> that people even looked at that and was like, yeah, I want to book in with her. It was crap. I want to work with me. But I think there is merit to say that you don't need a website from the start, but when you start to scale, it's definitely eventually. needed. Yeah, eventually you need it. Like for example, I can be out and about doing whatever I'm doing and then my website is getting inquiries from me and booking clients without me doing anything and it's great. So I think at that point then a website is needed, especially for that personal brand aspect or even just the, the brand aspect. But at the start, it's not the number one thing that you do. And yeah. you're right, analysis paralysis and all these things you need to check off your list. But when does making money come into effect? Never. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people that come into your programs and work with you, do you, is a common thing, I'm going to assume a common thing that people would come in, they would have a fear of actually being on camera and getting into social media. Am I right by saying that? I would say mostly they are past that point. Okay. Mostly, most of the clients that work with me, maybe a small percent, maybe 15% work with me who are scared to show up on social media. They don't like how they look. They feel uncomfortable. They compare themselves to others. About that 15% mark, whereas the rest, they've been doing all the things and they've been posting and maybe they've fallen off the bandwagon and they don't have any more motivation anymore. Maybe they're just doing the thing and it's not working. So those are the kinds of clients that work with me because they're like, I'm doing the thing, but what's wrong? Why isn't it working? It's because they're just posting for the sake of posting as opposed to posting with a strategy. What is the strategy? So the strategy, your, your content needs to take your audience through a journey from finding you to the sale. That's the whole premise of social media. Yes, social media is here to to engage, to build a community. But at, at the end of the day, you're taking your audience on a journey, whether that's to take them to engaging with you, to DMing with you, or to buying from you, either way, it's a journey. So there are three key steps that people need to take when it comes to doing that. And everyone misses it. Everyone misses them. Well, can you tell us the steps? So there are three steps. If I was to sort of, it's a bit more complex, but if I was to bring it down, mm -hmm. step one is to attract attracting your audience and attracting the right person. There are so many people who are posting content right now and they're attracting the same people that they are. Like they're attracting people in their exact same industry. So they're not actually making any money because they're attracting other network marketers. They're yeah. attracting other coaches. They're attracting other PTs. But a PT isn't going to work with you as a PT. Like it just doesn't work. So how are we connecting to the right target audience and creating content for that? Step two is where you showcase your leadership. This is where you're able to nurture your audience and really showcase your expertise, your personal story, and allow your audience to really trust you and get to know you. Then step three is conversion. This is where you have, hey guys, I've got something to sell. Here's why it's good for you. Come buy it. And they do. Because you've taken them down that journey where they know, like, and trust you before they purchase from you. Okay. And so I... I was going to ask you, so is there is there a ratio? Like, so let's say, is there, is there some sort of ratio you found where you're like, this is, this is the sweet spot? So you're talking about attracting people, badass content, building trust and actually selling to them. What is a healthy ratio? Because I was even thinking about my content and, and I continue to have to pull myself back on this, right? Because I just put value, value, value. For, yes. for, for a couple of years, actually, I was like, I'm just going to put out so much value, value, value. And then one day I looked back and I was like, people actually like to buy shit. They don't like to be sold though, but they like to buy. And not one of these reels I've ever told them how they can buy anything from me. And it's, and now, and I even found a weird point where I started to ask and it, it felt a little bit weird for me because these people were probably like, oh, he's selling shit now. Mm. Cause you know, so it's just kind of interesting. So I know like we've got a ratio and sort of strategy we use. I'm just curious, what, what is the sort of ratio between these attract, the trust building and the sales that people should be looking for? So firstly, you need to determine what your goal is. So for me, for example, I've got a launching course that I'm creating and selling in the next sort of month. And so with that goal in mind, I reverse engineer the dates. So let's say my launch date is the 20th of November. I will then reverse engineer how many weeks I need in each stage. So for example, a selling stage is about one to two weeks before I open cart to sell the course that I'm selling. So you're selling for one to two weeks? One to two weeks. Wow. Yeah, yeah just at the end. Yeah. Then I have my nurture phase, which is in the middle. It's about two weeks. Then I have my attract stage, which is about two weeks as well at the start. So I move my content through that. So two weeks, two weeks, roughly about one to two weeks. So any launch period could go between five to six weeks in general. 
um, that's on a, on a good launch. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's essentially if you're selling one sort of thing at a time. If you're looking at selling all the time and you're more of an evergreen content creator or a business, then I would look at filtering through that every single week. So if you're posting five times a week, let's do one or two sales posts, two nurture posts, one attract post and build it out that way. So it really is just about understanding what your goal is and then diversifying the content to match that goal. But I would say you're heavier in the first two stages as sort of one blanket, one together, than you are in the sales. So if you were to do five posts, you do three to four in attract and nurture and then one or two in the sale. What's up, Dream Nation? Have you ever wondered how far ahead your life would have already been if you had got access to this type of content at a younger age? Look, this is why I need your help. I'm trying to build the number one personal development platform out there to teach you guys the tips, tricks, and attitude of what it takes to live your dream life and to bring the type of education that we all wish we had in school. This show only grows by word of mouth and new subscribers, so it would mean the world to me if you could smash that subscribe button right now Leave us a five-star written review or drop a comment below and share this episode with a friend. I would be forever grateful. All right, now let's get back into this episode. Yeah, and so I want to play, I, th- I think the right term to say is play devil's advocate right yes. here. Yes. But I want to look at from from a guy looking at social media, right? Yeah. Because especially on your social media, but I'm, I'm probably also assuming you probably attract females. That's probably your ideal client. It I'm is, assuming. but I have so many males that work with me and okay. it's incredible, yeah. So, and I see there's women like you, there's women like Annika yes. who crush it on social media with these amazing trending dancing and girly stuff. Is really blowing up on social media and creating an amazing thriving brand through Reels reserved just for girls who want to do the dancing trending songs or because like I I did a couple one time, right? I, I remember I was like, I'm going to try to do some of these Reels, right? do lip syncing and shit. My girlfriend comes up to me and she's like, you got to stop that shit. Like, Why? <laughs> she's like, it just looks so fucking tacky for you. It's just not your brand. And I'm like, that's so true. That's just not me, right? So how are they, for your first question, is it reserved for people who just want to do the dancing and the trending and these sorts of things? Firstly, stop copying other people. That's the <laughs> biggest thing here because when you copy others, you start to lose a bit of your brand and a bit of who you are. So it's really important when it comes to creating Instagram reels that you stay true to who you are and the brand that you are creating. So if you see someone on Instagram doing a trending reel where they're lip syncing, don't feel the need to actually go out and do that just because they are. So you need to really establish your own secret source, your own standout style. I have a client and they are accountants. You might think accountants, they're boring as batshit. There's no way that an accountant is doing a reel and it's actually going to be entertaining and exciting. But these accountants, when we work together, it's just electric. The reels that we create are insane. Um, We created a reel for them last month and it was all about, you know, it was a bit bit more educational. Seven ways to make an, an extra 100K in your year. And they just had cash in their hand and they were passing on the cash to each person. And as they did that, a new tip came up. They landed a whole client from someone else to their brand from that one reel. They didn't dance. They didn't lip sync. They didn't, you know, do a little bit of a boogie, nothing. It was as simple as a transition of moving cash from one person to another. The reason why it worked is because it was eye-catching. The hook was really important. How to make an extra 100K in your business this year. So the hook is the most important part. So if you're looking at anything when it comes to your brand, it's the hook. Then they had transitions. So the transition was just to pass the cash between each person, which captured the audience's attention. And lastly, it just established their leadership. It really showcased that they were the expert in the field and that's how they landed the client. Nothing to do with dancing, nothing to do with lip syncing. It's all about the hook, how you're keeping people's attention and the value that you're providing with a mindset shift inside of your content. That's the crux Mm. of creating reels. Whether you are a guy, a girl, whatever you are, that is the formula to creating reels regardless of what industry you're in. Yeah. So how, how can, let's say, let's say somebody like me, let's say yeah. somebody who's like, let's, cause we're looking at the people who, at least in my space right now, it's people like you using social media and the way you're using to grow, sell courses and coaching and stuff like this. And then there's people kind of on my space would uh, 
thought leaders, yes. speakers, educators, kind of like that. So how does somebody like that use reels effectively to still keep trust and authority in that sort of space using reels? So without the songs, without the dancing, I know you just gave a really good point there, but what sort of, so if we're talking people like the Bradleys, the Grant Cardones, these sorts of people who want to grow a strong authority brand as a personal brand, how do they leverage it? There are two different types of reels that I would suggest when you're wanting to build a thought leadership brand. Number one is talking to the camera reels. These are videos where you're hard hitting, creating content, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, where you're answering a question, where you are providing a thought provoking uh opinion where you are perhaps maybe responding to something that's online. So thought leadership content essentially in voice. So that's number one. The second idea here for reels is point of view reels. I love these so much. I do them I do them myself. They're not for everyone, but I do believe they have huge, huge, huge weight in the social media space. So point of view reels is where you as the expert in a reel embody two characters. So you embody yourself as the expert and then yourself as the client or customer who's asking the question. So you may have, you you know, you might be a manifestation coach and your client might be thinking, the universe, why is nothing happening to me today? I've done all my my crystals. I've done all my readings. Why am I not making a million dollars? And then you would then change outfits and go on a slight angle to the camera. And then you would come as the expert saying, well, it's because you don't do X, Y, Z. And then you would have that nice back and forth conversation between the expert and the client. Why this is so powerful is because we're talking to camera reels. They're so great. They're motivational. They're inspiring. But sometimes it can feel like you're being spoken to. Whereas the point of view reels feel like you're having a conversation with and your audience is able to see a representation of themselves in your content, therefore building more of that trust and Again, solidifying that sale. I love that. I love it because right now I'm thinking in my head, like some of the ones that have actually stopped me, they, those ones will stop me. Because I'm like, oh, this is funny. Especially if it starts like a controversial thing. Yes. It, and if you can relate to it, you're like, that's me. You know, and it, it just absolutely sucks you in. So this brings me to my next question then. That real, and I'm thinking, what would it take to actually create a real like that? That's quite a bit of work probably involved to do that. How do you manage your time? And how do you effectively create? Because I'm assuming you probably... Are you, are you advice, like, are you doing a reel a day? I'm not, no. You're not? No, Okay, I'm not. so two parts. Let's talk about time management first. How does someone, how do you manage your time effectively to create amazing content without dying? <laughs> like, what's your sort of strategy if you batch? What does that sort of look like? And then I want to talk about why you're not doing one a day. So it is so easy to fall into the trap of create a reel a day, create two reels a day in order to grow your business. And it's just, you're not a content creator. You're a business owner. You've got things to do, shit to do, people to talk to. You've got lives to change. You can't be sitting here creating content all day, every day as a one band show. So it's really important to find what your consistency looks like. For me, my consistency looks like three times a week. This allows me to create high quality content and not just pump out content for the sake of pumping it out. Because I could, but it may not be as best quality as I want it to be. Did you do that in the beginning? From the beginning. You did three three weeks from the beginning. From the beginning. So interesting because yeah. I've been like because because like, you look at Gary V, and he'll still to this day say how much content should be putting out as much as humanly possible, and I went down that strategy a few months ago. We we're doing about six hundred pieces of content a month mm-hmm. across all my con- all my socials, and it's insane. And we didn't see anything drastic at all in growth. Um, and then you look at let's say I always use these guys as an example: the inspired unemployed. Yes when they're not creating much anymore because they're like, oh, their beer and stuff. But when they were, they were doing like one every few weeks. Yeah, like every two weeks they had a new, a new skit. And when it came out, I would stop whatever I was doing. I'd watch it because I knew I'm like, this is going to be good. But if they're doing one every day, I probably wouldn't watch every day. So Exactly. And that's the thing. You want your audience coming back for more. You want them on the edge of their seat recommending you and sitting and waiting for that next post. When you're creating content all the time, your audience starts to become fatigued Mm. as well, especially if there's nothing new or fresh coming out. So I've also done this test. There are times when I'm launching and I'm posting more. When I'm launching, I'm posting about two times a day. And it's really fun. It's really easy, but I don't see any growth. I don't see much difference. But when I'm launching, it's not so much about high quality content. It, It is still, but when you're launching and you're doing a hard and fast launch where you're only selling for a week, it's really important to have visibility. 
So just putting content out there to reach the people that are already in your world is so important. But whenever you're not launching, then having three posts per week is great because you're able to attract new people into your world with high quality content. So three reels, three posts per week is, has always been my sweet spot. So, yeah, so how do you, what, what's your advice to somebody thinking, you know, how, how do they actually manage their time? As a mm. business owner, they're doing everything already as it is. Now they've got to create content. Because every time I talk to people, I'm like, bro, you, you got to start doing content. They're like, oh, like, I don't have time. I get it. Like I put, I'll put out, now what we're doing is two days a month and I just do two days a month. One day is we do YouTubes and the other day we're doing Reels and then I don't do anything for the rest of the month. Um, so how do you advise people to sort of manage content creation, especially in the early stages and want to ramp it up while being a business, a busy business owner as well? It's different for every person. I think it's really important to understand what your capabilities are. If you're someone who gets bored really easy, then batching content and batching a, batching a whole month of content probably isn't your, your go-to. But if you're really driven and really excited by content, then batching would be a good way for you to start. For me in particular, I don't think about it as I'm going to do a batch creation day. I do it as a planning day. So I'll do every single Monday and I block out, it's a non-negotiable for me, every single Monday at a certain time period, I block out an hour and a half. And that is reoccurring in my calendar. So I never forget it. And it's always on Monday because if it's on Friday, it gets forgotten. It gets you know pushed over with other things. On Monday is my CEO day. That's where I get to do things for me, for Monique, for the business. And content creation is a money generating activity. And so I do that first thing on a Monday. So I plan out, okay, well, what is my goal for the week? And if my goal is sales, my goal is growth, my goal is nurture, then I'll make sure that all of my content fits within that segment. So then I'll write out all the content ideas that I want to do. I'll research a bit of audio. I don't get stuck in the rut of searching through Instagram for audios, for inspiration, because that kills your creativity and it, it kills you your in. ingenious, right? So you want to, you want to really capitalize on that creative flair that you have and the expertise that you have. So the first thing you do is look at what is my target audience struggling with right now? What are their dreams and what are they thinking and doing? These are the three questions that you want to be asking yourself on your planning day. From there, write down all of the answers and start pulling out content ideas from that first. Once you've got your content ideas down, then go, I just go into my saves folder. That way throughout the week, I'm saving audios as I go, you know, in the morning or when I'm on my walk or whatever, I'm just saving audios. And I'll just go into my saves folder and I will just attribute, attribute the best audio to that content idea. And then that's it. I will record maybe one reel that day, maybe two. And then I most likely will, will record again sometime in the week, usually about a Wednesday or a Thursday. And then that way it's really fresh and really easy for me. I like to do things sort of on the go, but I like to have a really solid plan and a solid strategy to start me off. I could do that, that plan every single month. So if I'm launching, for example, I'll plan it out my whole month of content or even a general idea just before we start and then refine it every single week. Because every single week you're getting better. Yeah. Every single week you're getting feedback from clients and audiences who want something or need something. So you're able to really refine the content as you go. So I really love doing it that way because there's so many times I hear it from so many clients, they've batched all their content and they go to post it and they're like, I hate this, I hate this, I'll never post that, never, never, never. So you end up wasting all this time batching your content for all this content you're never going to post. Why? Because you thought that you had to batch your content to be successful, but you don't. All you need is a solid plan and you can tweak and change and activate that content as you go based on the feedback you're getting from your audience and based on what's happening on the social landscape at the moment. Are you, are you using TikTok as well? What's your opinion on TikTok? <sighs> I wish I could say yes, but it's a no. <laughs> do, you, do you like it? There was about two years that I just despised TikTok. I hate it. Hated it. I, like, I hate TikTok. <laughs> mainly because of the time suck that yeah. it gave to me. <clears throat> Just if I open up TikTok, I know I'm in for a good ride. You, yeah, you're gone for half you're an hour. You're gone. If, yeah, and then you're like, what just happened? If yeah. that. Yesterday I was gone for two hours. Far gone. out. Gone. It's... Lucky it was a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I was gone. I looked up and I was like, shit, it's four o'clock. Where'd yeah. that time go? So I hate it for the time suck. Although I am loving it right now just recently, more so for a personal perspective, not a business perspective, where I'm really 
back into stories. I'm loving storytelling. I'm loving the personal connection you're making with people. So if you're a personal brand, TikTok is the way to go. You reckon? Oh, it's, and I, I, I'm preaching to the choir here, really. Yeah, I, I personally hate it. I, I hate, like, my t- we use TikTok. Yeah. Um, but I hate it because Instagram, I think, it's it's such a different thing. It's like you can you can do a really great reel. You post on Instagram, and if you know it's going to be really good, it'll probably do good. Like it, sometimes your flopped really good ones do good, but not what you wanted, but it's yeah. still not bad. But then you go to TikTok and you can put something fucking amazing up and it's shit house. But then you can put some piece of shit video and it gets a hundred thousand. That just pisses me off. So it's I like, there's, there's like it, 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 that is just annoys me. Cause it's like, there's people on there and like I've put stupid videos up and they've just gotten great. I'm like, I hate this. <laughs> it's. I totally it's hard to get, get the you. formula. Yeah, especially when you are coming from Instagram first and then moving over to TikTok. Instagram is is very curated. Yeah. It's very intentional if you're using it right. Then moving over to TikTok, it's like, I am new here. What is happening? Yeah. And it's you, you feel like you're an, you're starting from scratch. What people say about TikTok is that TikTok is very much like your Instagram stories. I don't know about you, but my Instagram stories are very real and raw. Yeah, I will rock up on Instagram stories, no makeup, my hair is a mess, probably in my gym gear. And that's what my audience loves because that's that's who I am. Whereas my Instagram reels, I'm not crazy. Like I will just put on a little bit of makeup just to feel like a human. Yeah, And I will just make my reels. But TikTok, I think, is very similar to your stories where it's a bit more raw, real. You're taking your audience along the journey. Things that you think, oh, well, that's my life. People are so interested. It's like reality TV. Yeah, it is. It is it's a it's a drama field. And like I'll even play like like I'll get on TikTok at the end of the day when it's time for me to turn my brain off. Yep. And I'll just and next time I'm I'm watching some like, oh my God, but this this person's about to get arrested for this. What it and then Simona's like, what do they do? I don't know. But I'm watching. Like, I'm just like I'm clicking on part ah! three. Yes, yeah. I I ended up. I remember. I think it was two weeks ago. I was on TikTok. It was early in the morning. I woke up really early on a weekend, and I'm like, oh, what am I going to do now? My mind is awake, so I'm just watching TikTok. And I ended up in some spiral of watching the 2004 <laughs> tsunami that happened in like Thailand and Bali. That's where I ended up. And why I was so hooked was because I was listening to all these stories from all these people and these firsthand accounts of what it looked like to be in a tsunami. And I'm like, that's like, you don't find that content anywhere but TikTok. And it's a lot more uncensored on TikTok as well. So it's sort of, yeah, it's interesting. Um, What I'm curious to know, so you you sort of said before about you're talking about finding your ideal client and all this sort of stuff. So I want to know your opinion or, or even your strategy to finding like, the perfect person to talk to. Because when I first started getting into marketing and learning marketing, everyone's like, you need to know your avatar. Great, okay, how do I learn my avatar? And there's a 47,000 page fucking document to know what color they paint their nails, if they're a dog lover or a cat lover. And I get about five minutes into this document and it hurts my head so freaking much. And I've never liked avatar stuff ever before. And I have my way of finding it. I talk to people's emotions. So I'll always work on what's emotionally happening for them, like their frustrations, what do they really want, their desires, and I give them what they emotionally want because people always buy with emotion anyway and they justify with logic. So I sort of look at it like that. So I'm curious to know how do you advise somebody? So someone's watching this, how does Monique find the ideal client to create content for? Target audience avatars are dead, just completely dead. It is a very... 2000s way of marketing where you envision this perfect client in your mind and what they would be doing and where they're going. But it's an imaginary client. It's so stupid. It's imaginary. <laughs> so how are you supposed to find more clients like them if they don't even exist, right? So firstly, it's just a, it's a straight no. It's a straight no-go from me. But what that was teaching us as marketers or even as business owners is to market to the demographic, market to where they live, what dog they they walk, what colour their eyes are. We're marketing to the physiological aspects of the person, whereas we want to be be talking to the psychographics of your audience and that is how you find your target audience. What are the the psychographics? Psychographics, it's actually what you spoke about. It's speaking to the emotion. Right. That's what it is. So it's going back to what I said before, it's, 
talking to their pain points, what are their frustrations, what keeps them up at night, why can't they achieve what they want to achieve in their own strength? Like, so that's answering those hard-hitting questions. What are their dreams? What do they envision for their life? People buy based on dreams. People buy things that they want, not what they need. So when you're focused on a client avatar that is all about the demographic, you're focusing on what they need. They need to work out. You know, for a gym membership, they need to work out because maybe they're a bit overweight. But when you're talking to their psychographics, they want to work out because they want to feel good. So you start selling Mm. the feel-good motion or the feel-good aspects of working out you're going to get better results, better quality clients and higher retention doing it that way because people buying things that they want. And there's so many reasons, for example, when we go into a recession, people still get their nails done. It's not, a, it's not a need, it's a want. Women or people want to feel good. feel good. They want to look good, regardless of how much money they have in their bank account. So they are selling that this is the want and this is what you want. So that's the the most important part here, talking to their psychographics, not to who they are as a demographic. And you can even go deeper to that. Into their psychographics comes the different kinds of buyer personas. You've got the analytical buyer, the emotional buyer. There are so many different types of buyers that are there. How are you creating content to speak to each one of those? We are all a different kind of buyer. And mostly, especially women, are emotional buyers. How many different buyers are there? I think there's four. Uh, the most the most prominent ones are analytical and emotional. Right. Um, so I'm assuming analytical people, you got to show them data, you got to show them percentage. Facts. They want testimonials. They want social proof. They want to know when things are happening, what's happening, very straighty 180 things are metho- like on a method. Mm. Whereas emotionally, it's how are you going to get me this transformation that I want to achieve? How am I going to feel better? How am I going to achieve that goal? Which is why you'll find a lot of my marketing on my Instagram page is very dream-based. Here's how I achieved X. Here's Mm. how you can achieve X. It's very dream-based to really showcase that this is possible for you as opposed to it being um, more analytical because I am very much an emotional buyer. But you do need to speak to the analytical person. They just don't drop off the face of the earth. You do need to speak yeah. to them. So dedicate some posts throughout your strategy to speak to that al- analytical person. Whether it be stories or reels or posts, people seem to know the information. Mm. How has uh, AI played a part in your work you do and where you also see social media and marketing going in the future? I, at the start, was really hesitant to jump on AI because right. I'm a very creative person and I feel like, once I start relying on AI, I won't be relying on my own intuition, my own mind anymore. Yeah, you lose that skill. You use you lose the skill. It's very much like I remember being in um, uni and everyone would bring their laptops to school, like to school as well and to uni. Everyone would bring their laptops to school, but I would bring a pen and paper because I didn't want to lose the skill of writing. I didn't want to lose the skill of writing fast. So when I did my end of year exams, when I did my um, assignments, I was fast because I kept that skill up. It's very much the same with AI. I'm very hesitant to fully move over to AI because at what point do we lose our brain capacity to start thinking creatively on our own and start problem solving on our own? I'm finding right now, I'm slowly starting to use it. And as I am, I'm starting to think, okay, let me go to ChatGPT before I even think about how can I Mm. intuitively problem solve this myself? I go straight to uh, to ChatGPT to chat d- <laughs> chat gtp chat gpt <laughs> because it's easy it's fast and i don't need to think mm. but that's we didn't come into business just to be brain dead right we're all creative beings so if we rely first on okay what can i do first on my own and then put the rest into chat chat gpt i think that's a really great way to go putting your target audience really understanding them some get some content ideas and then refine it maybe through chat gpt a lot of people do it the other way around and i've also done done it the other way around as well where you can filter in the certain information into the ai program and it comes out with content ideas or it comes out with an email whatever it might be and then you refine it you add your personality and your flair from there i think chat gpt is really great for autonomous tasks that don't really take much creativity. So here's an email that I want to write. I want to put in X, Y, Z, write me the email that I'm going to send to my clients. Beautiful, done, copy, paste, refine it a bit and go. But when it comes to content ideas, I think it's really great if you're feeling really stuck to kind of put it into chat GPT and get something out because it might spark your creativity from there. 
So there are good and bad, but to rely on it fully is just a method for future disaster. Yeah, it's it's inter- it's interesting, that's for sure. And especially like uh, like I've seen some examples done now with ChatGTP4 where you can put all this stuff into it. It's like act as my marketing manager, act as all this stuff, and, and it will create like the most wild shit. Like I, I can't even say what it's going to do because I haven't personally done it, but I've seen demonstrations of what it can do. Um, and I think it's it's kind of infinite of how much we can use it, but I'm also the same as that. It's like what we don't use, we lose. And if we, if we rely on something else for our own creative thinking, we could potentially use it. I will use it though because as a business owner, I love it when my team bring me stuff and I just have to make decisions, this or that. So I'll use ChatGTP for some things. So I might pop in. So when I've worked out all my cycle demographics of my clients and stuff like this, use it to do things like, hey, here's my client. Here's what they're purchasing. Or here's what I want them to purchase. Here's what's going through their life. Yada, yada, yada. I want you to create me 30 hook ideas of what this person would want to watch. And I'll go through that and they just bring me ideas then. And I just, I just do sifting and sorting. And I sort of like it, but then it'll get my creative thinking going. Yeah. Because it brings me ideas and it's kind of like an assistant going, hey, you should do content about this. And I'm like, no, no, no. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, but that reminds me of this. Oh, I could do this, 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 and this. And it's it's really helped me accelerate. And then I put my thinking into expanding on ideas versus having to come up with it from the start. Yes, yes. So I do really think there is merit to it when you're using it in conjunction to your own creative thinking. Yeah. There are so many times I'm on Instagram or even in my emails and I see an email from someone and it's just straight copy paste from ChatGPT. You can tell. Yeah, you can tell. Because the way that they write it, it's got like the <laughs> heading with the colon and then the yeah. subtitle. And then it has an emoji for every single dot point. It's like, girlfriend, come on. We're, I, we're better than this. <laughs> I've put the amount of times I've mentioned to my team. Because I'm like, look, you guys have full creative authority. Like, you know, I trust you guys. So you can do what you want. But if I see things pop up, I'm like, that was fucking ChatGTP. I don't care using ChatGTP, but if I know you're using it, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And there's been so many times I'm like, this was done with ChatGTP, wasn't it? Yeah, get rid of it, change it. Because I know it, like I can see the way it's written. And, and this, I think if people get lazy for too long, there's gonna be so many people. And I even see people using it for like outbound messages and stuff now. Now I haven't used it myself, so I can't you know, mention anything to it. But the reason I haven't used it is because I just think there's still going to be some sort of human degree to business and marketing. If I get, if I start, I already get DMs from random people I don't know anyway, and I don't reply to them. If they're just like, hey, would you like this? No. So if I wanted it, I'd find you. But if I started to get AI messages, I'd probably be even more disconnected from that person and that brand. So I, I think as business owners, we've definitely got to find where it can be useful, but where we've still got to keep that human factor. Um, and on the note of business, I'm curious to know, you're young, you've crushing it. What's something you know now in your business that you wish you knew at the start? Yeah, I think for me, it would be to outsource more. As a business owner, you feel like you need to do everything. You feel like you need to have your hands in every single pot and have the final approval for everything. And I have a team, I have an incredible team right now. And it took me a while to let go of the reins. Every point that they were doing things, I was like, hey, cool, send it to me for uh, approval. Send it back to me, send it back to me. And I'd approve and I'd, I'd tweak and I'd change. And I still do a little bit of an element of that, but everything went through me. So we have our social media management side of our business where we handle our clients' accounts. And then we have the other side of my business where I'm a coach and I do courses and things like that. But on the social media management side, I was the main contact for all of our clients. So if a team member finished the content for the client, I would then approve it, send notes back, they'd fix it. I'd take that content, send it back to the client. The client would then send me revisions and I send it, relay it back to the uh, to the team. And it was just, I was the middleman mm. when I didn't need to be. And they had things that were just taking way too long because I became the bottleneck. And everything just felt hard. So instead, I know it's hard at the start of your business, but you need to let go. You need to let go of just some certain bits and pieces. And I would do that right from the start because I, when I went full-time in my business, it was only a few months in that I started hiring people to assist me here and there. And so that was something that I do right from the start is, is that another thing as well, I would say boundaries. When you're starting your business. With clients or team or both? Everything, even yourself. Right, and this is something I'm still learning to this day. Boundaries is something that I am not always the best at, but what one thing that I would learn is to set boundaries as to when I am and not working. 
because at the start you're hustling. You're working anytime, anywhere. Yeah. You know, I remember working on Christmas Day. Yeah. Just sitting there. For, I'm South American, so we celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve. So my family's all there eating dinner and preparing and playing games, and I'm there on my laptop finishing off client work. And it's like, but why? You know, it's not going to kill the world if I don't get this done today. So it's like, okay, how am I going to, one, better manage my time so I can get it done? And two, say the world's not going to end if I don't upload this post. There's so many times where I upload three times per week. And I used to get so upset with myself if I missed one of those days because either I'm flying out somewhere or I'm doing something and I miss my Monday post. And I used to be so upset, Monique, why aren't you more prepared? Why can't you do this? Why, 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 why? And I would beat myself up about it because I'm such, I'm a high achiever, I'm a perfectionist and I and I love serving my audience and my clients. And when I'm not serving, I feel like I'm doing them a disservice. Yeah. So I think one thing I need to, I've learned to do is let go. It's not the end of the world. One post won't make or break your business. It's really hard. I, I honestly still struggle with that. Yeah. Like, like not so much the posting. Well, I don't do any of my posting. My, all my team do. But um, there's there's literally times where I'm like working and getting shit done. And I am and I think to myself, it's like, Morgan, just like it was like last week. Like I said to you before we started, I was like, I actually haven't had a day off in weeks. Usually I'm pretty good. I, I have Sundays off and I have fun. But the last few weeks have just been mental. I've run two back-to-back, seven, three weekends back-to-back events, four and five. I've got one next weekend. I've got this one. It's just been nuts absolutely nuts and haven't really had the time to, to take time off and the other last week I had I was like do I really need to get this done today and then I battle and I'll just be truthful like I'm still trying to find the balance of going having strong discipline mm. and going no do what you said you were going to do and going no give yourself a rest for a second and find that line and sometimes I do I'm like yeah I'm going to relax and then sometimes I'm like, no, just keep pushing. There, it's a fine line because you do have to, especially in the beginning. Like there's, I, there was countless Christmases I've worked, countless Christmases, New Year's days, New Year's Eves I've worked. Um, but it's got me to where I am now. But 100%. now I don't. Yeah, one hundred percent. But when I look back at those times where I am working at times where it's not, I'm not supposed to be working like Christmas. I look at that task and I'm like, what was the point? Mm. Did that did that task move a needle for me in my business? No. I was doing client work, which was great, but it could have been done any other time. It didn't need to be done that day. So I think for me, it's really looking at that task list and really understanding, okay, which one is a money generating activity and which one isn't. If it's a money generating needle moving activity, then I'll do it. If it's not, it gets moved to the next day. Hmm. I think that's the sort of discernment that I'm having right now. It's taken me a while to get here. I've been five years in business and I, I struggle with this daily. And it gets to, like, it gets to a point where my husband's like, Monique, Dinner time. It's eight o'clock. What are you doing? Get out of the office. I still, I still struggle with that. But I think it's really important to understand what is a money making activity, what is not, and if it's not, it can wait. Yeah, it, it, for me, it becomes a game as well. Going, how much can I get done in a day? And because I love it, like there's, if there's ever things I do in my business, I absolutely dread. I outsource or I just don't usually do. But it's, it's a blessing and a curse. I, I would still rather this life. I'd still rather work these hours and do all this than to go do something where I'm not doing what I'm passionate about, not creating something new because that's what I get obsessed about. I get obsessed on going, how can I get more done each day? Like I I just want to find my limit of high productivity, high efficiency and still a good life. And so it, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting world. I don't know if anyone actually finds it. I don't think we do either. (laughs) But it's like this is a pursuit of maybe one day. Yeah, maybe one day, but that day is not today. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. This has been amazing. Um, I really loved, and there's gonna be so much value in here. I hope these guys have got so much content from you, value from you on how they can make their social media amazing. Mm-hmm. Where can they find you and check out everything you do and even come work with you? Yeah. They can find me on Instagram at the socialista with an underscore at the end or my website, www.thesocialista.com.au. Love it. Now she has a website. Okay. <laughs> now I have a website. It looks beautiful. I've had it made for me. Thank the Lord because my design skills are zero. Um, so, yeah, check it out. It's beautiful. Videos, colors, all the things. Amazing. Love it. So to wrap this up, I've got a final question. Yes. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. If you were to go back to your 18-year-old self and give her 30 seconds of advice, what would it be? 
I would say stop thinking about what you're going to do and start doing what you actually want to do. No one's coming around here to save you. No one's coming to pull you to your dreams. You need to do it yourself. So get up, dust yourself off and go and get it done because there is so much greatness ready for you if you just grab it by two hands and just make it work. You've got two hands. You can do anything with what you've got. You don't need more money. You don't need more time. You don't need more age experience. You just need to be able to be determined enough, have a passion and go out and get it. Thank you so much for listening. And if you got value from this episode, it goes such a long way. If you can just take 20 seconds of your time, leave me a five-star rating and written review, then screenshot this episode and share it to your story and make sure you tag me for that shout out. And until next time, guys, go out there and dream out loud.